What's up, everyone? This is Lito, and you're listening to Crypto Testers, a podcast keeping you informed about all the coolest projects in the crypto space. In this episode, I speak with Antonio Giuliano, the founder and CEO of DYDX. DYDX is a decentralized exchange running on the Ethereum blockchain. Next to conventional spot trading, it offers more sophisticated trading products such as margin trading and perpetuals. If you don't know what these terms mean, this is the perfect episode for you, as Antonio explains them in very simple terms in the episode. We also talked about how DYDX works, about its plans to migrate to a layer 2 solution to make the exchange even faster and more performant, about potential plans to introduce a governance token, and how it views the recent crackdown of BitMEX, which is a crypto exchange offering similar products to DYDX, but in a centralized fashion. But before we jump into the show, I want to thank our sponsor, Bitwalla. Bitwalla is Germany's crypto flagship company. They offer users in Europe a full-fledged bank account, including deposit insurance and other things, as well as an integrated Bitcoin and Ethereum wallet. So using Bitwalla, you can move your money seamlessly between your euros and your crypto. They keep on adding new features such as their recently launched Bitcoin interest account, allowing users to earn interest on their Bitcoin. I highly recommend you check them out. I will post a link in the show notes. Hey, Antonio. Hey, how's it going? Very good. Yeah, happy to have you on the Crypto Testers podcast. I uh, think DYDX is really a special project. I'm really impressed by what your company has managed to pull off in the in the last year or two. You're never in any of the controversial and short-lived <laughs> trends in DeFi, like yield farming or anything. You're more in the background and you focus on what's important and you develop the product. And I think if you ask any serious trader in DeFi, they always love DYDX. So yeah, happy to have you here. And um, let's maybe start with how you got into all of this. I know you started your career at Coinbase. So what were you doing mm -hmm. there? Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. I started my career at Coinbase. That was my first job right out of college. So I kind of got there differently than the way most people got there. I didn't really know anything about Bitcoin before I joined Coinbase. It was just one of the many companies I applied to my senior year of college. But I was really fortunate to work at Coinbase during a time when there were just a lot of really high quality people there, just like a lot of, you know, the really forward thinkers in the cryptocurrency space were at Coinbase during the time I was there. What I was doing while I was there, so I was a software engineer. I was working on mostly non-cryptocurrency stuff. I think the thing a lot of people don't realize about Coinbase is that actually like 75% of the challenge is dealing with the traditional financial ecosystem. So basically what I was doing was like integrating with various banks and things like that. Um, and actually, you know, a lot of the cryptocurrency stuff at that time that was mostly dealing with Bitcoin and Bitcoin blockchain, obviously it's expanded a lot since then, are kind of a lot simpler than dealing with, you know, kind of the legacy uh, payment rails. <laughs> yeah. And so from there, how did you get into DeFi and how did you spot that there was a need for a decentralized exchange, especially if you were mm -hmm. more focused on the legacy banking part at Coinbase? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess the really cool thing about Coinbase was that everybody was obviously super excited about Bitcoin at the time. And also while I was at Coinbase, that was right when Ethereum came out. So got a really great front row seat to listen to people like Olaf Carlson Wee, who's gone on the found polychain, Uh, Fred Erson, who's gone on to found uh, Paradigm, but they would just kind of give like lunch and learn sessions on this brand new thing called Ethereum. And it was pretty wild at the time, just kind of wrapping your mind around the concept that there could be a blockchain that's Turing complete that you could write these programs on. And I think it kind of took all of us just a while to, to really realize kind of the full implications of that. But I think once I realized the power of Ethereum and basically for the first time Ever, basically, you can write these programs that just execute totally autonomously, totally deterministically. Everybody can have faith in the way that these programs execute. And I really just think it's a new paradigm for computing. So that got me really excited about the potential of what could be built on Ethereum. And this was still back in like 2016 or so, so really early days. 
And then I had always kind of had the inclination to start a company at some point. And that kind of combined with just, you know, seeing the real potential in, you know, at that time, smart contracts and decentralized applications uh, got me really interested in the space. So I did a brief stint at Uber also as a software engineer after Coinbase and then left that to do my own thing. But actually, the first thing that I started was not DYDX. um, It was something else. I basically tried to build a search engine for decentralized applications. And this was way back in like early 2017. And kind of what I found out was that, you know, building a search engine for decentralized applications when there are barely any decentralized applications was not a great idea. (laughs) Because like, what is the point of a search engine if there's nothing to search for? So I spent like three or four months working on that full time. And then that didn't really work. I think I had like 10 users ever. And then, so I kind of reset. Basically, my plan at the time was to spend at least a year kind of working by myself and trying to make something work. So I kind of reset, uh, took a look at the industry and saw the way most people were using cryptocurrency and even still to this day is just for trading um, and speculation. And that was back in like mid 2017. So right before like all of the like ICO madness and things like that. But that was right around the time when, you know, really great projects like uh, Zero X, things like Kyber, the very first decentralized exchanges were starting to come out. So I took a look at that, got really interested in it. Uh, I was fortunate enough to know uh, Will, one of the founders of Zero X, talked to him about it some, and then, you know, learned about that. And then was kind of thinking about, okay, well, now we see that there are these exchanges which can be built on top of Ethereum. What's next after that? And, you know, just Xerox and Kyber and even things like Uniswap and still to this day are mostly focused on spot trading. And, and all spot trading is, is just a fancy word for buying and selling uh, in a normal way. So did some research, kind of learned more about more advanced types of financial products, things like margin trading, things like derivatives. And then it kind of seemed natural to me that kind of based on the progression we'd seen in the centralized cryptocurrency world, you know, margin trading and derivatives were going to be the next really big thing on top of decentralized applications. At that time, you know, or maybe when I was at Coinbase, you know, so Coinbase was one of the biggest uh, centralized exchanges. But then we faced like a ton of competition at that time from Bitfinex and kind of Bitfinex's like real killer feature was offering margin trading. And this is really attractive to traders. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about this a lot more later but just that you can kind of get leverage to magnify your profits and, and also potentially your losses. But it's just a real, really big feature that kind of traders demand and especially more sophisticated traders. So kind of went on from there. Uh, I've been working on this for a little over three years now. And you know, even to this day, DYDX still focused on just being a decentralized exchange for more advanced financial products like margin trading and derivatives. Okay. I was just actually going to ask, how would you define... DYDX, but you answered yeah. <laughs> it perfectly there in one sentence. And that's exactly how I would describe it as well. It's basically a decentralized exchange and it differs from all the other decentralized exchanges that we know, like Uniswap and, and others mm-hmm. in that it, it offers all the more advanced trading products that you'd normally just find on yeah, centralized exchanges. So you, right. you, you mentioned um, yeah, spot trading, which is basically the fancy word, like you said, for the normal trading that we do every day, where there's just like buyers and sellers. And then you guys offer margin trading. And effectively, what margin trading is, is that it allows people to borrow funds to make bigger bets than they would be able to do if they wouldn't borrow. And I'm going to give a little example um, just to make it like kind of tangible for people to follow and to understand what it is. So Let's say I have $1,000 and one ETH costs $100. On the spot exchange, I could then buy 10 ETH. And if the price of ETH would then double to $200, I would have made a profit of 100%. I would have $2,000, right? But with margin trading, I can borrow funds. In the moment I trade, the moment I open a position, Uh, That is called leverage in financial terms. And I can borrow funds to buy more ETH. So I could, for example, borrow $9,000, which would then be called 10x leverage. And instead of just buying 10 ETH, I could buy 100 ETH with those borrowed funds. And if the price would then double, I would have $20,000. And 
after paying back the $9,000 that I borrowed, I would still have a profit of, of $11,000. So really it allows people with uh, yeah, very strong opinions on the market uh, direction to make big bets and bets that, uh, which they wouldn't be able to do in that magnitude if they had just their initial capital. Would you agree with that description? Yeah, yeah, that's a great description. Yeah, thanks for doing that. Normally, I have to give that example, but that's exactly how I explain it to people. <laughs> it's just like you can borrow funds uh, and that lets you take on, you know, basically buy more than you would have otherwise been able to. Yeah. What are the typical users of yeah, margin trading and what sort of use cases does it enable? Yeah, absolutely. So margin trading enables two things. So kind of just like in your example, it allows people to go leverage long. And all long means is that you make money when the price goes up. Uh, also, it allows people to go short, which you can't do on just regular spot trading. Going short is exactly the same thing as your example, except instead of borrowing dollars, you borrow, say, ETH, and you would make money in that case if the price goes down. So these are the two main use cases, just going long and short. They're mostly still to this day kind of used by just like speculative traders uh, who either have a strong opinion on the price of the assets that we list and you know want access to higher amounts of leverage. But there are a couple different reasons you might want to use leverage. So the first is just to kind of increase your risk profile. But the second, which a lot of people do as well, is just to make yourself more capital efficient. So say you still have like $1,000, but you only want to commit like $100 of it to DYDX, you could still deposit your $100 to DYDX, take your 10x leverage bet, and you could still get kind of, you know, you still get $1,000 worth of exposure, but you still have the rest of your $900 left. And this just makes a really big improvement in what's called capital efficiency. So it's just like you can make the same bets that you otherwise would have with just a lot uh, less capital. And then you can just go in on and use that capital for whatever else you would want to use it for. So those are the biggest users right now. I'd say there's kind of like two classes of users. So the first is just more sophisticated retail traders and all retail mains is just like individual people. And then there's also some smaller institutions, uh, which are kind of more crypto focused funds, like smaller crypto focused funds that also trade on the platform. Okay. And with margin trading, obviously, there's also a lot of risk, right? Um, so every margin trade has a liquidation point or liquidation price. In our example, for example, that liquidation point could be something like $80. So if the price of ETH would uh, go down instead of going up, my initial collateral, the 10 ETH that I had, could be taken and basically liquidated. So how do these liquidations work on DYDX? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm glad you called that out. Certainly liquidations are something you should understand if you're looking to trade on margin, because with kind of the increased amount of potential profit comes an increase in risk like we're getting at here. So the way liquidations work on DYDX, it's similar to how they work on other exchanges. Basically, if the price goes against you too much, you'll get liquidated. And how our smart contracts know what the price is, is through what's called price oracles. So lots of different systems on DeFi use these price oracles. DYDX plugs into the same price oracles that MakerDAO uses. So this is all the price oracles that are basically powering the DAI ecosystem. And then more recently for one of our markets, we've started integrating with Chainlink uh, price oracles as well. But basically what happens is if the oracles kind of say that, you know, now the price has moved enough against you, say in your example, the price goes below like $90, then basically uh, you will get liquidated. And the way that you get liquidated is there's a decentralized network or kind of distributed network of liquidators, which are basically just watching the DYDX smart contracts, watching all the accounts on the DYDX smart contracts, and then seeing if any of them become under collateralized. Because if an account becomes under collateralized, as per what the price oracle tells it, then anybody in the entire world can kind of step in and liquidate that account. And the reason they might want to do this is because they get a reasonably lucrative fee for kind of liquidating accounts, which is just helpful for the overall system. So your account, if you go under the collateralization threshold, your account will be liquidated by one of these liquidators, and then you will have lost probably a good amount of money. Do you have an overview of how many of these liquidators exist? Because I know that MakerDAO, for example, also employs the same system whereby anyone can scan the blockchain for 
positions that are under collateralized mm -hmm. or, or nearing that point, and they can just liquidate it and, and earn a fee, which is obviously like a new a business model that doesn't exist on centralized exchanges where it's just the, the centralized exchange performing this task and decentralized exchanges kind of outsource this and provide a yeah, revenue uh, opportunity for anyone in the world. I think this is uh, really cool. Is this something that is really then performed by the community or is it in reality still that you guys are also like running the majority of the liquidator bots um, and so on? Yeah, it's a great question. So it's pretty much entirely run by the community right now, which has been really awesome to see. Um, and I think just the, the kind of beauty of DeFi and the beauty of, say, this as an example is if there's an incentive for people to do things, kind of like I was saying before, there is a pretty big incentive because they get a, a pretty big fee when they liquidate one of these accounts. So people have come up with, you know, really sophisticated liquidator bots, um, just kind of, you know, these uh, trading bots, which are, again, watching all the accounts on DYDX and stepping in to liquidate where possible. One of the things we released, which I think helped uh, the community a lot, is basically an open source liquidator bot. So it's pretty easy to, like, spin it up and run it. I will say that, kind of like I was just mentioning, there are some people doing some pretty sophisticated things out there. Because basically the way the system works is that once an account becomes under collateralized, it's basically a race to see who can liquidate it first. Um, and only the first person to liquidate it, you know, gets the fee. So people will pay really high gas fees. They'll do really uh, kind of complicated like gas optimization things. Um, they'll try to, you know, be faster in terms of sending their transactions than everybody else. Um, but it's really brought about this, you know, pretty sophisticated ecosystem of all of these liquidators. And this is a great thing because, again, it just helps to keep the entire system fully decentralized and then just, you know, maintains the financial health of the system as well. Yeah. And I can confirm that these liquidator bots work very well because I got uh, liquidated two or three times. Um, <laughs> uh, but is it... Times. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. There's sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, right? Yeah. Uh, but because I always thought about running one of these liquidator bots myself, especially if uh, you guys have basically mm -hmm. uh, open sourced the code for one of these bots. But is it then um, that if you just have a normal bot without any of these gas optimizations, etc., that it's very hard to uh, still win the race against the others that are kind of professional and doing this, uh, you know, uh, every day? Yeah, it's a good point. I'd say it's reasonably hard, yeah. I haven't looked too much into the statistics myself, but basically the big, like, variable that you're playing with is, like, what gas price you're sending your liquidation transactions with, and then, like, is that gas price, like, higher than everybody else's gas price? And then there's kind of some equilibrium points where, like, if the gas price is, like, so high that, you know, it's higher than the fee that you get from li liquidating an account, then it's not worth it anymore. But it's kind of like that logic there isn't so much like basically on the bot, it just specifies like a constant gas price that you can work with. So if you want to do something more sophisticated, I would recommend just like trying to play with like optimizing the gas cost for various scenarios. And I think that's what the more advanced people do. Gotcha. And who provides the liquidity to the margin traders when they borrow funds for their trade. Is it DYDX or can anyone lend the funds to, let's say, the protocol? Yeah, great question. So it's anybody. Um, basically, what we've built on the, the kind of borrowing and lending side is something that's pretty similar overall to Compound, pretty similar, well, reasonably similar to like Aave as well. Um, but we kind of adopt this pool-based lending approach that was you know, really popularized by Compound. It works really well for DYDX as well. So another thing that you can do on DYDX, even if you're not, say, you know, a margin trader, you can just come to DYDX, you can lend out your funds. It's really easy just to deposit them on the platform. One of the really cool things about the platform is all of the funds that are used for spot and margin trading, you know, even your collateral that you put down are always being lent out to other people and they're always earning an interest rate. So that's kind of a unique feature that you don't see on a lot of other exchanges. So even if you're, say, just doing spot trading on the app, you know, you deposit just to make a regular trade, your, your funds will be earning interest during that time. And that's where the liquidity comes from for all the people that are borrowing for margin trading. Would you say that this lending is relatively risk-free? Yeah, I wouldn't. Certainly, it's not risk-free. Um, I think there are a couple different scenarios or you know risks that you're exposed to, and basically, it's it's similar risk to say like a compound or other things like that. 
I will say that the DYDX kind of collateralization ratios are lower than what you would see on like a compound um, intentionally. And basically lower collateralization ratios leads to kind of higher amounts of leverage that our margin traders can take on. So that makes the protocol slightly more risky. But normally you also see like higher yields um, to kind of compensate lenders for this risk that they're taking on. And basically the risk that you're exposing yourself to if you're a lender is that, you know, accounts don't get liquidated in time. So say like an account, uh, say in our example, again, where you've borrowed, you've gone like 10x leverage long, if the price drops like 15%, say in like a second or something like that, and then liquidators aren't able to liquidate your accounts, then kind of the protocol, you know, loses out a little bit on top of that. This has never really happened for the entire time DYDX has been live. And there's also an insurance fund, which protects, you know, has some buffer against this at least. But that would be the main risk. Well, that and then just like the regular like smart contract risk, say that there's a bug in the smart contract or something like that, that you kind of see on any DeFi platform. Gotcha. Yeah, I find it interesting that we always uh, talk so much about the risks in, in DeFi. But then when you really look closely, there has actually been relatively few incidents where things really went wrong, at least for the you know the big uh, protocols. And uh, yeah, it's good to see that DYDX uh, also goes into that category when, when nothing happened. But let's say everyone on the DYDX platform goes long, right? Everyone, let's say we're in a um, bull market and everyone wants to go long 10x. Will it then be that the interest rates really spike uh, because there needs to be more uh, kind of capital that is pulled in to fund all of these long positions or um, how does it work? Yeah. Yeah. Basically it, it's just a variable interest rate. And, and again, this is specifically for the margin product. This is not for the perpetual product, which we haven't quite touched on yet, but I'm sure we'll get to. Um, but yes, on the margin product, if there's a lot of demand for say going leverage long an asset, you'll just see like a pretty high interest rate in stable coins, you know, on DAI and USDC, because, you know, again, going back to your example, if people are going long, they're basically borrowing stable coins. Um, and it just uses, DYDX uses a variable interest rate model, again, pretty similar to like a compound or, you know, even an Aave or things like that, where the interest rate will just reflect the demand on the system. Has it ever happened that there was not enough liquidity? I guess if that would happen, then people would just borrow somewhere else and then landed on DYDX if if the yeah. demand yeah okay yeah so, great question so so it has happened a couple different times um where basically the utilization it's called on like these lending pools which is basically what percent of the lent funds are actually being borrowed so it's happened a couple times on DYDX where that spiked to 100% basically the way our interest rate curves work um is that they're polynomial functions, which basically means that the interest rate like spikes up a ton right at the end, like towards like 95 and 100%. So if it gets to that point, you'll see like things like, you know, 50% plus APRs on the system. And then there's just a kind of a rush of lenders, which, you know, run back in because of course people want to make 50% APR. And then like you say, they'll just like borrow on another platform or use capital they already have to kind of bring the interest rates back down to equilibrium. And if the interest rate is, let's say, 200%, does it then also mean that for the margin trader, the uh, trade the is much more expensive? Probably, right? Yes, it does. Uh, so, yeah, I just want to make it clear, like, this has happened, like, maybe two or three times, but maybe for, like, you know, 15 minutes at a time. Uh, so it's really not like the interest rates are super variable. Okay. And... I guess there's also a fee for every trade. Who um, does that fee go to? So DYDX, uh, you know, one of the things we haven't touched on and maybe just like framing this a little bit is one of the, the, the ways that DYDX works is we're what's known as a hybrid exchange. So that means we have some decentralized components, which are, you know, all the stuff we've been talking about, like the protocol and smart contracts and things like that. And then we also have some centralized components and the centralized components that we have we run a central order book and then a central matching engine. Um, and I can touch on this more later, but this just allows us to offer much more performant trading, you know, instant trade finality, free cancellations, all kinds of things that are really important to sophisticated traders. Uh, so we kind of are running all of this trading activity, um, you know, at least in the order book and matching engine, you know, they're just kind of on the DYDX servers. 
And then basically we take a trading fee um, and this trading fee does a couple things. You know, of course it like subsidizes all of the you know activity that we're putting in or effort that we're putting in to run these kind of matching engine and order book, just like a normal exchange that you would trade on. And then the other thing that it goes towards, which has been a pretty big thing for us recently in the past couple months is paying the gas fees. So basically what happens or like the way that trades work on DYDX, because we have this hybrid model, is when you're trading on DYDX, you're not actually sending transactions to the blockchain. You are cryptographically signing messages. Um, if people are at all familiar with, say, like the ZeroX protocol, it's kind of a similar idea to that, where you're basically just cryptographically signing a message saying what assets you want to trade, at what price you want to trade at, things like that. But then all of the actual transactions that go to the blockchain, specifically for trading, kind of are executed by you know us, like DYDX Trading Inc. And then we have to pay gas fees for those, which have become quite a lot recently. So a really high amount of the fees uh, just go towards subsidizing those gas fees that we take on as users trade on the platform. Does it always then, in those times where the gas fees were really high, did it did the fee then cover the gas fee always or were you sometimes even subsidizing trades? Yeah, so I, we changed our model on this about a month ago, um, where now we'll basically try to you know accurately estimate how much you know it's going to cost us to execute various like types of trades in terms of gas. Um, and then we'll just pass those fees on to the users again to just make sure that we're being covered. But before that, we kind of had a more flat fee structure And then we ended up losing at times just like massive amounts of money when kind of the, the gas prices would spike up to like, you know, 500 gig away or, or whatever they were spiking to. Um, so we now have this more like variable fee model, um, which is it kind of feels like you're just paying like gas fees on the platform. Another thing which maybe we'll touch on more later, we realized that this is like, you know, not a great experience for anybody that's using DeFi or especially people that want a more performant trading experience. So we're really heads down building right now. And, and we've announced a partnership with Starkware um, to basically move to layer two. Um, we're working really hard on building that right now. And that should be live in just a couple months from now, actually. Uh, pretty fast build out time. Um, but this should really help address our gas fees and should make fees on DYDX a lot more stable in addition to having a lot of other benefits. Yeah, cool. I'm excited to talk more about that yeah, later. Because uh, yeah, layer two is always really exciting to talk about and to hear insights from these projects on how far this is and how it's going to affect UX. Is, it's always one of my favorite questions. But yeah, I would like to touch a bit more on this part that you mentioned that DYDX is a hybrid where it's like semi-decentralized. Uh, mm -hmm. Because I, I noticed this from a user perspective Because when I do a trade on DYDX, I uh, don't make an on-chain transaction. I don't have to, uh, you know, uh, my MetaMask wallet opens, but I don't have to like pay gas fee or anything. I just have to sign a message. And that is different from, say, Uniswap, where the transaction, when you, when you trade, is really an on-chain transaction and uh, you need to pay a, a gas fee. So can you explain again how, how this architecture works? Um, I heard once that the settlement of the trades is happening on chain but the yeah, other parts not i would like to understand that better. yeah absolutely uh so you're right basically the only thing that actually goes on chain is the settlement but let's maybe just walk through an example of like you place a trade and like what exactly is happening so you're right basically let's say you come to dydx and then you're like okay i'm an eth bull i want to go 5x long so i want to buy ethereum Specifically, I want to buy, you know, I want to place a limit order to buy, you know, 10 Ethereum at, at most 1,000 DAI. So after you click buy on the platform, like you said, the first thing that will happen is your MetaMask wallet or whichever wallet that you're using will pop up. And it'll basically give you a, mass, a message to sign cryptographically. And it'll ask you, do you want to sign this message? And the message is a little bit hard to decipher sometimes, but basically what it is and what you're signing is a message that basically includes all of the details about the trade that you want to make in, in an encoded way. So it'll include things like which asset do you want to trade? You know, which asset do you want to buy? Which asset do you want to sell? How much do you want to buy? Like what's the maximum price you want to sell at? Uh, things like that. And then after you sign this message in your MetaMask wallet, which we refer to as an order, 
And again, it's a really similar concept to if people are familiar with how 0x works. Uh, we don't use 0x, but we use kind of a similar concept to the thing that they pioneered. So, okay, now, you, uh, now our website has this cryptographically signed message, which just represents exactly the trade that you want to make. So the next thing that happens is our website, like any normal website you would use, sends an API request to our backend servers, which are running our order book to basically say, okay, here's this new buy order for Ethereum, please process this. And then this order gets routed to our matching engine, which is again, some, something that you would find on any normal centralized exchange. And then our matching engine will basically store this kind of sorted list of all the people that want to buy the asset and all the people that want to sell the asset, which is just your order book. And then if you're this new trade that is kind of the signed order that comes in matches with one or more of these maker orders that are just sitting on the order book. At that point, we should execute a trade for those users, right? Because say you want to buy Ethereum for 100 DAI and somebody else wants to sell it for 99 DAI, uh, well, you should just trade with those two people. So then what happens, and this is kind of the final part um, that happens in a centralized way, is our matching engine will send an Ethereum transaction. And this is the settlement transaction you had referenced before which will include all of these signed orders. So both your signed order that you placed and also the signed orders that other makers on the platform uh, have put out. So every order that you see on the order book on DYDX is one of these cryptographically signed orders that has been signed by either you or another user on the platform. So, okay, so now our matching engine sent out this fill transaction, which includes all of the cryptographically signed messages for all the trades that are gonna happen. Uh, it gets sent directly to our smart contracts on the blockchain. Our smart contracts know how to check these cryptographic signatures to make sure all the orders are valid. And this is really where the trustlessness comes from. Um, it's like we literally cannot make any trades that our users don't uh, agree to because of this kind of cryptographic signing. Um, and then if all of the signatures and everything check out, then the, the funds are actually transferred by the smart contract between user accounts on the platform. And that's the entire thing. So it's just like the only thing that actually hits the blockchain is these settlement transactions. All settlement means is just, you know, that's the actual trades that happen. And it's not so much like the orders being placed and, and canceled that are sitting on the order book. The order book is entirely off chain. And then all of the account balances and funds are entirely on chain. And the settlement also entails the actual payout. So if I mm -hmm. bought ETH and uh, the other ones sold USDC, the settlement also entails uh, sending the e USDC and sending the ETH to uh, the both counterparties, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you basically have kind of the best of both worlds where you have the speed of a centralized exchange and then like the balances on chain, which means it's, it's non-custodial, uses own the funds it's not in some centralized exchange wallet and you also have the whole um, ecosystem you you can tap into that blockchain on-chain ecosystem where liquidators can participate on dydx where lenders can lend money to the margin traders which again is not i know i think there's one centralized exchange that also has it bit phoenix also lets people lend uh, funds but yeah I, it, so it's really kind of the best of uh, both worlds but this is actually this leads me to the next question because we recently saw that bitmax which is another derivative exchange and margin trading exchange they got a very big fine and the founder team got charged by the u.s government for circumventing u.s regulations like the Bank Secrecy Act, which obliges exchanges mm -hmm. to do KYC and share data with relevant authorities. So some people got very worried and said DeFi could be the next uh, thing to be kind of regulated and, and, and stopped. I share a different opinion there, but I would be curious to hear from you, what does DYDX do differently than BitMEX and why would it you know, not fall on in that category, basically? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. So not to get too deep into the legal stuff on this, but basically what happened with BitMEX was two different things. And there were kind of two different ways that they got in trouble. Um, so the first was uh, that they didn't do KYC. They ran afoul of the Bank Secrecy Act, which the US cares a lot about, as you might expect. And this is really just due to things like 
not serving customers in sanctioned countries. So for example, there are people from like Iran, which in the, from the U.S.'s perspective is a sanctioned country, uh, which the U.S. takes pretty seriously, as you might imagine. And then there's also things like, you know, making sure that people aren't laundering money on your platform, stuff like that. Um, and then the second way they got in trouble was that they offered what the CFTC deemed to be unlicensed derivative products to U.S. customers. And kind of the critical piece here is that last part that I just mentioned, the two U.S. customers part. And I'm sure we're going to touch on this a little bit later. Um, but basically, like TLDR, uh, derivatives are a very highly regulated product, especially in the U.S. financial market, certainly by other jurisdictions as well, but especially in the U.S., I would say. Um, so you, you have to be really careful about the types of products that you can offer uh, to U.S. customers. So basically, DYDX, what we do is we just don't offer our perpetual products. We do offer margin products to U.S. customers. And this is you know, just in response to a lot of the regulations that the CFTC puts out. More on the margin trading and then on the spot trading side. So the, the FinCEN, uh, which is kind of the main U.S. regulator, which deals with the kind of first thing that we were talking about, which is like the Bank Secrecy Act, money transmitter issues, things like that. They put out some really good and direct guidance, which specifically address decentralized exchanges um, or exchanges which have kind of this non-custodial settlement, um, which you know more or less says, and this is in no way legal advice, um, but uh, basically says that you know if you don't touch user funds, then you don't have to. You basically fall outside of the scope of needing to register with FinCEN for money transmitter issues. And again, that's a gross approximation, um, but that's you know kind of what it says. And that's like basically why we're able to offer these products to U.S. customers. And you know that's kind of where we're at right now. So we feel good about where we're at. It's certainly something that's evolving over time. Just a lot of the stuff in cryptocurrency, as people know, it is a pretty gray area from a legal perspective. Um, but we have you know talked with the CFTC a number of times. We work with a lot of different law firms to make sure that. Just the products that we're offering, you know, are always legal and in, in that we, you know, are always compliant with regulations in the jurisdictions that we do serve. So that's another advantage of this hybrid architecture. It's very critical, actually, or it turns out now that it's very critical that you don't uh, touch customer funds because it allows you to yeah, serve uh, people in the US, for example. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. And for the perpetual product, you said you can serve U.S. customers. Is that correct? That's correct. The and perpetual product is not available to U.S. customers. How do you enforce that? Is that IP blocking or? Yeah, so IP blocking right now, yep. Okay, okay. Yeah, let's maybe talk about the perpetual product since uh, you already mentioned it. I must admit, I don't know too much about perpetuals, but sure. I'm very curious to hear more. I I saw that it's a recent addition. I think you added it uh, three or four months ago to the platform. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what it is? Yeah, absolutely. So maybe let's first talk about kind of the use case for perpetual products. It's actually pretty similar to the use case for margin trading. Basically, what you can do with, the, with uh, perpetuals is, again, you can just go leverage long or you can go leverage short with a variety of different assets. But there are a number of different properties which make perpetual contracts really popular within the crypto space. And again, these are the types of contracts. It's, it's basically very financially similar to the products that are offered by BitMEX, that are offered by Binance, you know, more recently FTX. And just in the past year for the market in general, perpetual contracts have literally become the most popular trading product in all of cryptocurrency. The volume on perpetuals is more than the entire rest of the cryptocurrency market put together. So they're really, really popular just kind of as a background. So why might you want to use a perpetual contract over just trading on margin to, to access leverage? So the first reason you might want to use a perpetual contract is that they oftentimes offer more leverage just due to the way that they're kind of financially constructed. So on DYDX, uh, perpetuals offer up to 10x leverage, and then our margin products only offer up to 5x leverage. We're also likely to increase the amount of leverage which users have access to on the perpetuals by quite a lot once we have the Starkware integration as well. And then the second thing which, really, which is really cool about perpetual products is there are what's known as synthetic products. So that means if you're trading a perpetual product, let's say you're trading the DYDX uh, Bitcoin perpetual, there's actually no Bitcoin anywhere in the system. It's an entirely synthetic product, and it just uses a variety of financial incentives to kind of create this new product, this new trading pair, 
which approximates and trades really close to the price of regular Bitcoin or whatever product you might want to trade. This is really cool, especially for decentralized exchanges, um, because it means that we can offer trading of literally anything and you know any cross-chain asset which doesn't exist on Ethereum, things like that. Uh, we can offer trading for you know with no additional configuration. So, okay, how do perpetual contracts work? Perpetual contracts work there. First of all, if you want to trade a perpetual contract, the first thing that you have to do, similar to the margin product, is you have to put down some collateral, which will basically back your position. And on DYDX, we support a couple different types of collateral for our perpetual products. On the Bitcoin perpetual, we support uh, Tether and then USDC collateral. Um, and then on the Ethereum perpetual, we support uh, just regular old Ethereum as collateral for the Ethereum perpetual. The main kind of financial concept that perpetual contracts use to basically tether their price to the price of the underlying asset is this thing called a funding rate. And just, this is the main thing that you have to understand if you're trading perpetual contracts. And all a funding rate is, is it's kind of similar to an interest rate on the margin side, uh, but not exactly. But basically, the way perpetual contracts work is because they're synthetic, there's always exactly one unit of long for one unit of short. So kind of the amount of people that are long always exactly equal the amount of people or you know units of short. Um, and the main way you kind of tether the price of, say, the Bitcoin perpetual to the actual price of Bitcoin is with the funding rate. And what the funding rate is, a dynamic basically interest rate that's paid between those who are long the contract and those who are short the contract, kind of relative to how far away the price of the Bitcoin perpetual is trading from the price of actual Bitcoin. So let's go through kind of a concrete example. Let's say that the price of Bitcoin is $10,000 and then the price of the DYDX uh, perpetual uh, Bitcoin perpetual contract is $10,100. So the price of the perpetual is too high Right. We want this thing to trade at the price of Bitcoin. So basically, we want to try to drive the price down until it gets to the price of regular old Bitcoin. And in this case, we want more people to sell, right? Because basically, people selling makes the price of an asset go down. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we make this, this funding rate, we make the people that are long pay the people that are short, kind of this dynamic interest rate. And it kind of varies based on how far away um, the price of the perpetual is from the price of the underlying. So if it's just like a little bit off, the funding rate will be really small. If it's like a huge amount off, which you know shouldn't really happen and hasn't really ever happened, um, then the funding rate will be really massive. But it will basically, you know, in this example, make the people that are long pay the people that are short, and that'll incentivize more people to go short, which will drive the price down uh, and kind of send the price of the contract back towards the price of Bitcoin. So that's basically the entire thing. Perpetual. One other cool thing about perpetuals is that. They are perpetual. They never expire. Um, so you kind of hold these positions as long as you like. And then instead of paying an interest rate as you would in margin, uh, you can either pay or earn an interest rate. You know, kind of in this example, say you were short this contract, you'd actually be getting paid by all the people that are long. And then basically, you know, that's the only thing that you have to worry about is this kind of dynamic funding rate. So can the funding rate also go negative then? Yep. Definitely okay. can. So like, you know, just say in the reverse example where the price is too low, we want to incentivize more people to go long. So in that example, we would make the people that are short pay the people that are long. So it's usually like sometimes you'll be paying the funding rate. Sometimes you'll be earning the funding rate. I would say more often than not, just like in crypto in general, like more people want to go long than short. So this is not always the case, but like usually um, the funding rate is making the people that are long pay the people that are short. Gotcha. Yeah, very interesting. I learned something new. So I, I understand the advantage of it being a synthetic asset and you can uh, then also recreate any other asset in the future. So now you have uh, Bitcoin and Ether perpetuals, and, but mm -hmm. potentially you could add uh, even off-chain asset perpetuals later on, mm -hmm. which is a very cool use case. But the uh, long or short aspect of it How is that different from margin trading? Why would someone who wants to go long go for a perpetual instead of just going yeah, margin long? Yeah, I would kind of point to what you were just talking about, like access to more assets that you know you wouldn't be able to trade on margin. Even to this day, like DYDX doesn't have that many assets available to trade, but we'll touch on this a lot later. But after we do the Starkware build out, we're going to add quite a lot more assets to our perpetual contracts. 
probably on the order of like 20 to 50 or so. So there'll be way more assets that you can, you know, take leverage bets on on perpetuals. And that's just because it's way easier for an exchange to spin up these markets in a synthetic way using these perpetual contracts. So that's the first reason. Second reason, access to higher leverage. Um, and then the third reason um, is kind of exposure to this funding rate over just kind of, you know, paying this, you know, dynamic interest rate on the margin side. Sometimes, you know, the funding rate will be more attractive than uh, paying interest rates for margin traders. Sometimes it won't, but it's something where if you're a more advanced financial trader, you can kind of arbitrage these funding rates across different platforms. And a lot of times just paying the funding rate is a lot more attractive than just paying interest rates if you're margin trading. Okay. Let's talk about kind of a little bit of a speculation, but I saw recently Ryan Adams from Bankless. He speculated that DYDX would maybe launch a token one day. This was shortly after Uniswap distributed mm -hmm. the Uni token retroactively to anyone who had ever interacted with the Uniswap exchange. And so he said, well, it's, it pays off to be early and to, to use something. I recommend you guys use DYDX because it's one of the mm -hmm. uh, coolest projects out there that still doesn't have a token. It's also funny to observe how uh, like a year ago it was kind of a virtue to not have a token and now uh, any everyone wants any project to have a token. But uh, do you have a comment on this? Like, is, is this something that's in the pipeline? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, certainly, we're paying attention to everything that's going on in the DeFi space. Um, I'd say tokens we've seen be really valuable, both in terms of just spurring a lot of growth for platforms. Well, of course, you know we want to grow too. So that would be super positive for us. Uh, another thing that I think is really impactful about tokens is just how much more you know power and say they give to the community over the direction of the project, uh, which I think is a really positive thing as well, and I think would really benefit DYDX. Um, and then just in terms of fully decentralizing the protocol and kind of moving from more uh, just admin keys to totally like fully decentralized governance of the protocol, I think is a really valuable thing at the end of the day as well. So, you know, no direct answer at this point, but I'd say we're pretty seriously thinking about it from just a lot of different angles. Uh, we definitely see a lot of benefits to it. But first and foremost, our main priority has always been and will always be just making the best and most functional product and not necessarily just you know trying to hype it up with like tokens or things like that. But I think we've been able to do a really solid job of just building a great product at this point. And we continue to just push a lot forwards. I think DYDX gets better every day. Um, and we do see a token as potentially being additive to the platform overall. So yeah, I guess the answer is we're thinking pretty seriously about it, but no firm plans yet. Okay. Talking about the ever-improving product, let's maybe finish off by talking about the whole layer two plans that you have. So I mm -hmm. always thought that layer two, the main advantage is to accelerate transactions. But in your case, since a lot of the order book and, and matching engine and stuff was already kind of centralized, where are we going to see this stackware layer two solution really improving the platform? How is it going to affect the user experience on DYDX? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So there are four main ways it's going to improve things on DYDX. And I think all of them are pretty major. And that's why we're really excited about this, but I can go through all of them. So the first one is potentially just the most obvious one, something I mentioned before. Um, but one of the main things you're looking for whenever you move to a layer two platform is just a really big orders of magnitude reduction in gas fees. Um, of course, like we talked about, users aren't directly paying gas fees on the platform with DYDX right now. But they kind of are, right? Because we're basically just passing on our estimated gas fees to the users. And that oftentimes results in really, you know, sadly high trading fees um, if people are using DYDX. Um, I think right now it's like you have to pay a minimum of like $10 or something. It varies based on what the gas price is, but it, it's just kind of hard to offer a trading platform where we want to encourage people to be able to trade a lot um, if the fees are super high. So once we move to this to Starkware, um, and we're go just moving to Starkware to start on the perpetual system, potentially we'll add margin to it later, but the fees for perpetuals will go down quite a lot. And I think that would be great for users. So that's the first advantage. The second advantage is kind of more towards what you were talking about or touching on with the user experience. And on the user experience, you know, I'd say 
at least I like to think the user experience on DYDX is a good bit of a step up from the user experience you'd find on other decentralized exchanges, even right now. You know, like we talked about before, you can get things like instant order places, basically instant trade finality. That means no things like reverts, things like that, if you had to deal with that, things like uh, instantly canceling orders. But DYDX still kind of feels like a decentralized app overall. It's like you make a trade on the platform, then you see like a spinner on your balances for like 30 seconds or a minute until art fill transaction actually mines. And only after that can you kind of withdraw your funds on the platform. Can you make more trades based off of those funds, et cetera. What we're going to build with Starkware is the trading experience on DYDX is really going to feel and kind of perform like that of what user users are uh, expecting from a centralized exchange experience. Once you make a trade, your balances will update immediately. Uh, it'll immediately be reflected in Starkware system um, and you'll be able to withdraw the funds just basically immediately after it. So I think just the UX will be every bit on par with the centralized exchange. And we're really excited about this. Even a lot better, I think, in, in really important ways because you know we'll still be able to get all of the great things people love about decentralized exchanges, just being able to walk up with your own cryptocurrency wallet Start trading immediately. No sign up. Uh, you know, no, you know, records that we require you to submit or things like that, etc. So that's the second, and I also I think really important benefit. And then the third one uh, is basically just a really big kind of reduction in the amount of, or sorry, a really big improvement in the amount of Oracle performance that we have. Um, and this is just really important. Uh, for us in terms of being able to offer much higher leverage on the platform. Um, and basically the way DYDX works right now, as I touched on before, is we just integrate with MakerDAO's Oracle system. But the problem with these Oracle systems is they're not super performant right now. Oftentimes it takes you know minutes. We've seen as long as up to 15 minutes for actual price changes to be reflected in these price oracle systems. And that just makes it pretty risky for systems to be able to offer as high leverage as you would see on centralized exchanges. Um, just because, you know, imagine you were an exchange and you're thinking about how much leverage to offer. It's basically the, the thing you have to worry about is like, how much can the price of the assets move within like one tick of the price oracles? And if that time is 15 minutes, well, you just can't really, you have to have like a pretty big buffer and consequently you can only offer pretty low leverage. But what we're going to do um, with Starkware, which I'm pretty excited about, is we're going to take the exact same Oracle system. So it'll have exactly the same levels of decentralization as our current Oracle system, which I like to think are, is one of the most decentralized in the space. But what we're going to do is we're going to basically put those Oracle prices instead of on layer one Ethereum, we're going to put them on layer two with Starkware. And that means we can update the Oracle prices literally you know, multiple times a second um, instead of once every 15 minutes. And this is just an astronomical change. Um, this will allow us to just offer much higher leverage and also just make the system much safer for kind of all the market participants overall. So those are the main things. And then there's one last thing, um, which we haven't so much touched on to this point, but I actually think is extremely important. It's a little bit more financially complex, but I'll kind of go through what it is. So the way DYDX does margining on our perpetual products right now is with using what's called isolated margin. And what isolated margin is, is if you're trading any perpetual product on DYDX, uh, you basically have to put down collateral for it separately. So say you want to trade both the DYDX Bitcoin perpetual and the DYDX link perpetual. Well, you have to put down your, say, you know, whatever, a thousand USDC of collateral for the Bitcoin perpetual. And then totally separately, you have to put down a thousand USDC of collateral or whatever you want to trade with on the link perpetual. And these accounts are in no way related. And it's not like uh, you can use the same collateral to collateralize both positions. With Starkware, what we're going to be building is what's known as cross-margining or a cross-margin perpetual system. So that basically means you will have one collateral account, which will fund all of the different types of perpetuals you might want to trade on. So now you could just, say, put down $1,000 thousand USDC worth of collateral and then use that to collateralize all of the perpetuals you might want to trade on on DYDX. So it'll be a really big step up in terms of capital efficiency for our traders. And even more important, it'll be a really big step up for the capital efficiency of our market makers. So if, imagine you're kind of a market maker on DYDX. All a market maker is is somebody who's basically offering to provide liquidity, is basically offering to buy and sell these perpetual contracts at various prices. 
But imagine you're a DYDX market maker right now and you want to support all of the different DYDX markets that DYDX has. You know, you will have to put down collateral for every single market that DYDX has independently. So you need just an astronomically higher amount of collateral uh, to be able to offer you know, quoting and liquidity on all these different markets than you would have to have if we if DYDX offered cross-margining. So say you're a market maker and you, you know, want to market make the five markets that DYDX has, you have to put down, you know, $100,000 or whatever of collateral five times. If we have cross-margining and you're a market maker, you only have to put down the $100,000 worth of collateral one time, and then you can just start quoting on all of the different markets. And this is the fundamental reason why it's been hard for us at DYDX to launch a lot of new markets so far. It's just the collateral requirements on our market makers are really, really high. Um, but with cross-margining, again, you know, market makers can just have one, you know, a lot smaller pool of capital and then can start quoting on all of the, the different order books that they might want to market make on. And this is going to allow us to just offer, you know, an order of magnitude more markets. Kind of our plan is to, you know, step it up from, say, like five markets on the platform to like 50 in the next year or so. So I think all of those four things, just reduction in fees, uh, much more performant Oracle prices, way better UX, and then way more markets, plus cross-margining, will make the product way, way better overall. And this happens that you can market make with one account mm -hmm. and using just one asset is because all of these five markets are ultimately settled in, in a stable coin, right? Because they're synthetic assets. So you can hold USDC and market make five different markets. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. It sounds like there are some massive improvements coming and especially now with um, BitMEX kind of struggling people will probably look for an alternative and I can't wait to see the, the volumes that you guys are going to have uh, with this new system. Yeah, excited. One very last question um, mm -hmm. about layer two. So I, I always heard that one of the big question marks with uh, different layer two solutions uh, coming is that it kind of fragments the DeFi space because currently they're all... Um, on the mainnet, on the Ethereum mainnet, and and um, one of the big advantages is that they can all communicate to each other, which is called interoperability in 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 the crypto mm -hmm. space. And um, the the danger with yeah different layer two solutions, which are effectively different networks, which exists off uh, from the main chain, but which are kind of connected to the main chain. If if all of these DeFi projects live on different layer two solutions then we lose this interoperability. Is, is this a danger for uh, DYDX if you choose Starkware and, I don't know, for example, Synthetics is uh, using Optimism rollups? Um, is there any worsening in user experience or um, does something change for DYDX? Yeah, it's a great question. So I would say it's certainly a real consideration for you know, a lot of the fully open and like fully decentralized protocols. It's actually basically going to have exactly the same user experience as our existing product because we have this hybrid model already and we're already doing this centralized matching and order books and you know we're already a little bit less interoperable with other platforms that are out there, which is okay. Basically, what we've done is kind of traded off some interoperability for what we believe is a much more performant product experience on DYDX you know, dot exchange. And we think that that's like a reasonable trade-off to make. Um, the product experience is going to feel really similar on layer two as well. Basically, the product experience right now on DYDX is like come to DYDX, deposit your funds, then start making some trades. Exactly on layer two, the, the experience is going to be exactly the same. It's like come to DYDX, deposit your funds. Now you're depositing you know, to layer two behind the scenes. As a user, you don't really even have to know or like understand that. It'll basically feel like the same thing. Um, and then you just start trading on DYDX. So for DYDX in particular, because we kind of already have this hybrid model, the, the product experience is going to feel really similar on layer two. And that's why I think you see us just being a really early adopter um, of some of these layer two systems. What about the wallets, for example? Is it just a deposit transaction with, let's say, MetaMask, and then everything kind of happens automatically from there? Or do you need some like, specific wallet? Yeah, no, it'll work with every wallet, uh, kind of similar to how the product works with every wallet right now. Okay. And the liquidators, do they need to move to the layer two solution 
together with you in order to run these liquidations, I, I assume, right? Yeah, there'll be some liquidators on layer two as well. Exactly. Okay. okay. Thank you very much. Uh, I learned a lot in this podcast and I'm very curious to see how this will all uh, look like in, in reality in, in a couple of months. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was a great conversation. I appreciate all the great questions. Very welcome. Hey, it's me again. I hope you liked this episode. If you did, please feel free to share it with your friends and family or give us a follow on, on Twitter or LinkedIn. And if you have some feedback, reach out to me. I'd love to hear it.